So happy morning. It is Easter and he is risen. I'm Joel. I greet you who are joining us online and welcome to Heart City Church. I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles or on your devices. You'll also find it wonderfully printed in the middle of your bulletin to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. In our text last week, Luke 23, Jesus died on the cross and it looked like game over after a very hasty funeral. As you turn there, um, would anybody here like to guess what Bible text I have preached the most in my life? No guesses? I appreciate that. I wouldn't put myself out there. I mean, really, Pastor Joel, there's like over a thousand chapters in the Bible. So let me just tell you. John 11. John 11. And the reason... I've preached John 11 more than any other text. I know that is because that's the usual text I use when I officiate funerals. John 11 is the well-known story of Jesus at Lazarus' tomb. Lazarus and his sisters Martha and Mary were friends, close friends of Jesus. And Lazarus got sick. And so the sisters sent a note to Jesus to save him. But Jesus deliberately stayed away two extra days knowing that Lazarus would die, not because he didn't care. He told his disciples it was for the glory of God. But you can imagine Lazarus' sisters did not understand. When Jesus arrives, Sister Martha runs up to Jesus and she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus says to her in verses 25 and 26, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, though they die, yet will they live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? So now I ask you, dear friends. Jesus says that he is the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? I hope you do. If not, let's pray for God to change that in the next 30 minutes because the resurrection of Jesus is the best news you could ever believe. And if you don't agree with Pastor Joel, well, I can tell you, you've misunderstood it. You've misunderstood it. Let's pray. Father, we praise you that your word is able not only to awaken the sleepy, but also to raise the dead. Will you take away by the power of your spirit all distractions right now? and enable our hearts and minds to be engaged with the great news of what you have done for us in Jesus. And we ask not because we are worthy, but because you are wonderful and you get all the glory for every resurrection and revival that you start. So have mercy, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now hear the word of our God from Luke chapter 24. I'm read the very last part of Luke 23. This is immediately after the burial of Jesus. On the Sabbath... They rested according to the commandment. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in and did not find the body of Jesus, while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? 
He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise? And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. So we have just read one of four Bible accounts of Jesus' resurrection. Each of these call us to celebrate the emptiness of that tomb where Jesus' body lay as dazzling angels appear to women to say, Jesus is risen from the dead. And we can and should rejoice at the resurrection here. But it is possible that some of you are disappointed right now. Joel, where is the risen Christ? There are zero Jesus sightings in Luke's account. Did you see that? Or did you not see that? Now you might look ahead if you have a Bible in front of you and see that Jesus appears three verses later on the Emmaus Road. And you might chalk up my stopping at verse 12 to me teasing you so you return next Sunday. And you're right, I am a tease. But actually, no Jesus sightings here is Luke's fault, not mine. Matthew and John both tell us that Jesus appears to these women. But Luke leaves that huge detail out. Why? Why does Luke leave out Jesus' encounter with these women? No risen Christ. Why? For Theophilus. Remember Theophilus? You're like, Joel, uh, yeah, and I know that started, that was way back in 2020 when I first started preaching this. I know, so let me catch you up. Luke's gospel began with him telling a Greek named Theophilus that he wrote this account to provide certainty about what Jesus came to do and teach. And Theophilus is actually a lot like you and I. The risen Jesus Christ is not going to appear to us during our earthly days. You see, Jesus couldn't stay on earth. He had to go prepare a place for us. But Jesus gave us, who would never meet him here on earth, exactly what we need right where we are. Something solid to build our faith upon, to know for certain that the resurrection is true. It's what Jesus gave Martha in John 11. It's what these angels give these women at the tomb. What is it that Jesus gave us? Listen to the angel in verse 6. He is not here, but has risen Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and rise on the third day. And they remembered his words. They remembered his words. That's the main point in Luke 24. What is it that Jesus gave us? His words. Jesus' words. The word of God. What we have here. Luke is actually setting us up for the rest of this chapter where the risen Christ will appear. And what will Jesus do? Um, he's going to begin Bible studies. He's going to begin Bible studies. Hey, guys, 
Here's how the whole Bible is all about me. Because Jesus wants them to remember and respond to his word in faith. And Luke wants Theophilus to respond to what he is reading here in the gospel. This gospel which itself is the certainty that Jesus was raised from the dead. (coughs) Friends, the resurrection happened because God's word is true, not the other way around. God's word actually from Genesis 1 on is the first and foremost evidence that of the Jesus resurrection. Luke, like the angels, is exhorting us to remember Jesus' words. And by the way, that's not just the red letters in some of our Bibles. The whole Bible is the word of God given by the word Jesus, who was with God in the beginning. John 1, 1 and 2. So here's our Easter question. Will we believe Jesus' words and respond in faith and rejoice in hope? Well, step one is knowing it. And Pastor Joel wants you to know your Bibles. But more, Jesus wants you to know your Bibles. So let's start with our new verse to know in light of the resurrection at the bottom of our bulletin page here. It's Romans 10.9. Children, you get bonus points and candy. Well, I might give candy to adults too. If one of you actually came up and memorized this, all right? I, I, will, I, will, I will surprise you. But let's all say together our verse to know. Let's say together. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Romans 10.9. All right. There's a verse to hide in your heart because it is a guarantee that gives you certain hope. This verse will prove to be a light unto your feet and a lamp unto your path. A light which I think these women at about 8, 6 a.m. in the morning probably could have used on this very first Easter morn. Let's start at our text. On the Sabbath, they rested according to the commandment. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. Jesus had died on Friday afternoon, and he had to be buried quickly because the Sabbath was coming. And the Sabbath begins when the sun goes down. We know that the Jews set aside the seventh day. Saturday was a day of rest for them. So Jesus' funeral had to be really hasty so that they could observe the Sabbath. And I included the final verse from chapter 23 because Luke is noting a change after this Sabbath. You don't see it in your English translation, but the word Sabbath is also found in verse 1. It literally reads in the Greeks, but on the first from the Sabbaths at early dawn. You see, the original readers would see a shift from the old Seventh-day Sabbath to something new and better. It's coming from that time. And this is actually the last time you find in the Bible Christ followers observing the Seventh-day Sabbath. Because, friends, the resurrection of Jesus is the birthday of a new creation. It's the birthday. The Son of God came and did what Adam and Israel failed to do. Jesus rested on the seventh day in the grave. And after, defeat, after he defeated sin on Good Friday, and now he's conquering our other enemy, death. It's the new creation, the birth of a new creation. Easter is the birthday of the new forever creation. And it's a birthday for all of us who are new creations in Christ. And it's so good, we celebrate it weekly. We celebrate Jesus' resurrection because we now have a way of life in a world of death. And Luke's account, my friends, is one of countless proofs both biblical and historical, that the resurrection of Jesus 
truly happened. It's more certain than the war in Ukraine. It's more certain than things we can't see like COVID we believe in. The resurrection of Jesus is guaranteed certain fact. And I think proof number one here that Luke gives us is the change of Sabbath observance from the seventh day to the first day. Something momentous led thousands of Jews to suddenly change their strict 1,000-year-plus observance, their practice, now to the first day. Actually, it proves there were 500 witnesses who all saw the risen Jesus Christ, many of whom Luke interviewed. But the first to discover this were these absolutely incredible women up at the crack of dawn. Anybody else here find these women just be incredibly devoted? <laughs> yeah, surely they lack faith, all right? We can admit that. Jesus is dead, though, and yet they're still going to the tomb to honor him. Getting up as soon as they begin to see just the hint of light to bring costly spices for his body. Now, if some of you here know John's gospel well. You may be thinking, wait a minute, Pastor Joel. Didn't Nicodemus already do the spice thing? That's actually what some of my commentaries latch on to. They're always looking for these discrepancies in the four accounts, and they say, ah, the resurrection is kind of problematic because different authors say different things. Different people did the spice thing, Joel, really? Do you believe the resurrection? Yeah, and it's not a problem. You see, the only problem I see here is that the commentators that I read were all men, <laughs> like Nicodemus. What do you mean, Joel? Well, ladies, have you ever seen a man, like a man trying to, he's been tasked with doing something, you know, that is, uh, you have to make something lovely. You ever seen a man tasked with trying to make something pretty and nice? You know what I think? I think Nick, he's in a hurry. He bungled the whole spice thing. Not that I would have noticed if I was on the scene. I'd watch Nick do the spice thing. I'd say, swell job, old boy. Yeah, you're doing great. <laughs> Luke tells us that these women, last time, they hung out till Jesus died. No doubt, they watched Joseph of Arimathea take down the body. They followed Joseph and Nick when they did the burial. I have no doubt about it. We see their devotion here. Now, I imagine these women, they're just groaning inside as they're watching these two fellows work with the linen and the spices. I mean, because I've seen the look my wife gives me when I'm trying to make something pretty, Okay. I can see one Mary whispering to another, they're men. What do you expect? I mean, Nick's trying his best, okay? Don't give him grief right now because there's no time here. We'll just come back and fix it on Sunday. And that's what they're doing here at the crack of dawn. Despite there being a large stone sealing the tomb, which, by the way, shows so much more devotion. They don't know how they're going to move the stone in order to do the spice thing. But they're here, up early on a Sunday morning to honor Jesus anyways. What devotion. It's hard enough for some of us to roll out of bed on a Sunday morning to be with Jesus, isn't it? How many here would actually have showed up to Heart City this morning if you knew there was a large boulder you had to move in front of the doors? Elizabeth? Your, your devotion is amazing. Like these women who are truly devoted, they show up and God gives them a surprise. Verse 2, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Luke's actually using a play of words here to show the irony of 
finding and then not finding. Their hearts go from excited to find that the stone is rolled away to sorrow that they don't find the body of Jesus. Friends, God is rewarding their devotion. Friends, God rewards those who diligently seek him. You see, the angels, the angel here didn't roll the stone away to let Jesus out. The angel rolled the stone away to let the women in. Jesus was not inside earlier. Hey guys, please let me out. I've risen from the dead. It's dark in here. Come on, guys. No, after the resurrection, Jesus is walking through walls. He's not here anymore. He's left. The angel rolled this stone away for these women to let them in, but they shouldn't have needed this empty tomb experience. That's Luke's point here. Let's go on. Verse 4. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood beside them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Now Luke's gospel actually began with angels announcing the good news about Jesus' birth, and it ends the same way with angels giving an announcement he's risen. And by the way, um, angels don't look like the tooth fairy, you know, or the pink rock, you know, and whatever, you know, or chubby cheek cherubs you see on our decorations. No, supernatural angels cause these women to fall down in fear. And these angels, they're actually kind to them. They see they're perplexed and they say, why do you seek the living among the dead? Basically they're saying, if you're looking for a living person, why are you going to the cemetery? And the only answer is unbelief. They didn't believe that Jesus was alive. So listen to what the angel said next. Say next. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and rise on the third day. And they remembered his words. They shouldn't have needed the proof of the empty tomb. The angels are saying, ladies, Jesus told you multiple times back in Luke 9, he was going to die at the hands of sinful men and rise on the third day. Why are you here? You should be scouring the town. You should be walking the streets where all the living people are looking for him. And these ladies, we see they have no answer. They only have spice in their hand and egg on their face. Their mission was foolishness. Why? Because they didn't remember God's word. Do you see how much, why I care so much that each and every one of you are in God's word? I've seen the impact on folks who don't know and trust God's word. I see folks like these women who are impulsive. They're always getting up and scrambling to and fro, exhausted trying to fix things. And they can't do it. I see folks perplexed in constant crisis. Something small happens in their life and they just get totally derailed. And I want to say, that was only a mouse. Don't freak out. But actually me scolding them won't help. Only the word of God can help them. And I, I, like Luke, want you and Theophilus to know God's word. How firm a foundation, you saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. I've seen this at people's in, work in their lives when they begin to take it in. When a person is grounded in God's word, all of life's events that come at them take on whole new meaning. 
because they're actually interpreting their life through the light of God's word and not my life and here's what God's going to... No, it's the exact opposite. It's through the light of God's word. Yeah, sure. They may wrestle like Jacob with God's promises at times, trying to make sense of things, maybe for years. But it works. It builds up their faith and they have a whole different witness to the world. A loved one dies. They lose their job. They go to the doctor. You got cancer. But they don't shrivel up in despair. Why not? Because they've been getting up morning after morning after morning, preaching God's truth to themselves until their hearts begin to sing. And they go out into the world knowing that everything and anything that comes at them, good or bad, is working out for them an eternal weight of glory. Because they remember God's word tells them, God is the one who turns darkness into light, who brings life out of death. That's what God's word teaches us. And see what happens when these women suddenly remember God's word? They respond to the angel's exhortation, and they become the very first witnesses to the good news. Verse 9, And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. Now just quickly as an aside, this scene is further proof of the resurrection. If the disciples, after Jesus died, are trying to figure out how to keep the movement going, they wouldn't say, hey, I got an idea, guys. Let's make up a story where we guys, as Jesus' chosen disciples, we all end up being really big talkers who proved to be big cowards and we're the absolute last to believe it. And, oh, let's make women also the star witnesses. And that's not me being sexist. That's the reality in this culture. Nobody would believe a woman's testimony. It wasn't even allowed in court. That's this culture. Friends, you wouldn't make this story up. Some wonder how the church ever got off the ground. And the reason is it's because it's built on the word of God, not the word of men. And God's word constantly flips everything over that we're so, things that we're so confident in gets flipped on its head. The Bible takes the weak things of the world, the foolish things of the world, in order to bring to nothing the strong things, the wise things of men. And friends, we can all leave here and take encouragement from this. Any one of us can share God's word with others. The Greek imperfect here actually says these women keep telling, they keep insisting that Jesus was raised from the dead. And it also says the disciples kept rejecting it, kept saying, shut up, that's nonsense, we don't believe you, you're not telling us the truth. Incidentally, has this ever happened to you? Maybe with family you'll be seeing on Easter? You share your faith, the amazing thing God has done in Jesus Christ, and they give you the stiff arm? Don't be discouraged. The best news in all of human history was rejected from day one. Levi, Thomas, can you imagine him saying, Ladies, you're out of your gourd. Will you stop it? We all saw Jesus dead as a doornail. You're depressing us. You're delusional. Did you even go to sleep last night? You're up at the crack of dawn, grieving all night. But friends, when we continue to share God's word, somebody is getting a message. Because look, someone responds, verse 12. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in, 
he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Now, I know on one hand, we're probably not too surprised by this. If anyone is the first to leap, it's going to be impetuous Peter, right? But I think there's far more here than his typical impulsiveness. Peter has had a great fall. Remember Peter? In chapter 22 and chapter 23, he promised, I will never desert you, Jesus. I will die with you. I will stand beside you. I will never leave you. And not just because Peter was hasty and impetuous and prideful, but because Peter loved Jesus so much. Jesus meant everything to Peter. Jesus had transformed Peter's whole life. Peter was just like, I'm so thankful for you, Jesus. I want to be able to stand up with you. And what happened? He withered away when the heat came. He collapsed like a house of cards. He denied Jesus and left his loving Lord all abandoned to die horrifically on the cross. In his hour of greatest distress, he abandoned his best friend. You think Peter's carrying a lot of regret right now? You know it. Wouldn't it be the greatest thing if these women actually weren't crazy out of their gourds <laughs> and Jesus were alive and he runs to the tomb, he finds the stone rolled back and all that's inside is this linen where Jesus' body was wrapped in. And I'll leave that for you to ponder. Simon's pondering it. Could this be a sign of hope for sad Simon, for pitiful Peter? My Christian friend, do you carry any regret? Perhaps a long time ago you once promised, I will love and serve you, Jesus, no matter the cost. He saved you out of the pig pen. You were so thankful what Jesus did. What happened? You found yourself back in the slop again, didn't you? My not yet Christian friend, what load are you lugging around? You have a heavy heart? When you look back at your life and where it's brought you, what cruelty have you caused? What relationship wrecked? What abandonment administered? What deceptions dealt by you? When sin gnaws at your soul and your conscience cries out, am I going to have to carry this my whole life or try to medicate it away? I don't know how to be rid of this. Dear soul, you know what else God's word says? Micah 7 says, Who is a God like you? Who pardons sins and forgives transgression and who delights to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the sea. Oh friend, God will... And he can take away all of your sins, all your regrets, and throw them down in the bottom of the ocean. And you know what he puts there? A sign that says, no fishing allowed. No fishing allowed. That means there are no more regrets for you, Christian, the moment you first believe. Because God, the Father, sent his son, Jesus, to pay for all of your sins on the cross at Calvary. And the empty tomb is the proof of that forgiveness. 
I love what Gerhardus Voss says. I'm coming to a close. He says, we find in the resurrection the strongest possible assurance of pardon and peace. Brethren, when Christ rose on Easter morning, he left behind him in the depths of the grave every one of our sins. They remain buried from the sight of God so completely that even on the day of judgment, they will not be able to rise up against us anymore. Voss is saying is that if you believe and receive Jesus, that for God to count any of your sins against you would require him to stuff Jesus back in the tomb and put the stone back over it. How do you like that for an insurance policy? No more regrets. No more sins. I have to close, but let's not stop and simply go home just marveling. I ask you again the question that Jesus asked a couple of sad sisters. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? If you have yet to believe, I beg you'll pray with me right now and be freed of your burden on this great day of victory. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead and it is the greatest event in all of human history. And the moment you believe, you too become a new creation, a new creation who can live without any regrets all your days going forward. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. Let us pray. Father, uh, as we come to the end of this sermon, please show us that you are not at the end of what you're doing with us, only the beginning. We thank you for the good news that you sent the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world and that you raised him from the dead as promised in the scripture. There's no sin we have this Savior cannot take away. So we come to you confessing it all, asking your forgiveness, and trusting you to set us free from all our guilt and shame. Oh, please give to us the Holy Spirit that we may no longer live for self, but for the one who gave his life for us, Jesus Christ. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Amen.